Good evening and welcome to the July Worship Night. It's a privilege to be with you tonight. There is a playlist that goes with this talk. Um, it, use it how you like. You can play it all the way through. You can put it on shuffle. You can select your favourite ones or just play one over and over and over. It's absolutely up to you. Make yourself comfortable. Whichever uh, suits you, you can use it in, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, it's an opportunity just to spend time with God, to uh, to listen or to join in in singing wherever you are, and just to receive ministry from him. For we know that Father only gives good gifts, so do ask him, ask him for what you need, and we pray that you will receive that. Just say, come Holy Spirit, I'm open and I'm ready. Now today I'd like to uh, do a bit of a book review really. Um, this is the book here. It's by Dane, Dane Ortland, and it's called Gentle and Lowly. And it's subtitled The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Now, it is a beautiful book. I've spent a number of weeks reading through it slowly, and it just really is a wonderful book. It is based on the writings of a number of Puritan writers. Now, uh, there's a bit in Rob Roy, which is a film from the 90s, when all the Highlanders are sitting around a campfire and somebody pipes up, why don't the Puritans like making love standing up? And they said, we don't know. Well, it's because they think it might lead to dancing. And that might be your view of Puritans, that they uh, were joyless people. Who were very, uh, they banned lots of things. Famously, uh, Thomas uh, uh, Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell and his, his government banned Christmas from 1660. So, you know, you might think a Puritan or Puritanical has been about being this sort of joyless existence. When actually the reality is quite different. And some of these writings are just really beautiful. They tell us so much about the heart of God. If you have a, a pure sense of how humanity should be, that is because you have a pure sense of who, who God is. And that's what Dale Ortland sets out to do. So I'd just like to share with you a little bit of the book. I, now, I could preach on it, um, but actually, I'm not sure I can beat Dale Ortland's words, all the words of some of these writers as well. And so we're told that this is a book about the heart of Christ, who he is, who he is really, and what is most natural to him, what ignites him um, most immediately as he moves towards sinners and sufferers, in other words, you and I. What flows flows out most freely, most instinctively, in other words, who is he? And it's based on a verse from Matthew 11, verse 29. But it comes within a passage which you probably know quite well. Matthew 11, starting verse 28. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And this is the bit. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And he goes on to say that this is the one place where the Son of God actually says something deeply about himself. <clears throat> other than who he is and what his mission was. And he says he doesn't 
say that he's austere and demanding in heart. He doesn't say he's exalted and dignified in heart. He doesn't even say that he's joyful and generous in heart. He says that he's gentle and lowly in heart. So I'd like to just dip into one particular chapter, chapter 19. And uh, what Ortland does throughout the book is he chooses one verse and then he, he goes into it in quite a lot of detail. Again, drawing on these Puritan writers. And in chapter 19, it's headed up rich in mercy. And it comes from Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Nowhere else, um, this is the what's the reason God is not poor in mercy, He's rich in mercy. Nowhere else in the Bible is God described as rich in anything. The only thing He's called rich in is mercy. And while we might often have a tepid thought of the goodness of God, it is so God is so much more than that. God is exacting in his justice but he's overflowing with his mercy and quoting Thomas Goodwin he says he is rich unto all that is he is infinite overflowing in goodness he is good to profuseness he is good to the pouring forth of riches he is good to an abundance and so the Puritan heart saw a God whose heart was infinite and overflowing profuse and abundant with mercy. Mercy is who he is. There's no limit to it. It comes out of who he is. And God's love is described by Goodwin elsewhere as violent when he sees us in the trouble of sin and being separated from him. It's a great love. And he talks about God's love as being invincible. I love that, that his love is invincible. And the book ends by using two applications. The first one is to talk about our need of God's mercy. Well, that's because we're sinners. We know we're sinners. But he describes the, the, the effect that sin has on us as um, Gollum's ring. Now there's a bit in the in the Lord of the Rings right at the beginning when Bilbo has his party and he's about to leave and there's a scene, if you've seen it in the movie, you'll know uh, what it's like, where Bilbo has the ring which has taken so much power and Gandalf is telling him to leave it behind and Bilbo uh, thinks that he's left it on the mantelpiece but actually he finds it in his pocket it's attracted to him, wants to stay with him. And then when Gandalf suggests he should leave it, Bilbo gets overcome with his anger that he's been told to give up this thing, which he knows isn't good for him, but it makes him angry. And so I love that idea of sin being like Gollum's ring in our lives. And so Ortland describes this, this desperate need that we have for God's mercy. But then he applies it by showing how we know what that mercy looks like. And we do by looking at Jesus, 
Paul talks about when grace appeared in Titus 2, that Jesus is the epitome of God's mercy. So let me just read you the last couple of pages that really applies it to our lives. Consider God's richness in mercy for your own life. He doesn't meet you halfway. His very nature is to engage death and to bring life. He did that decisively once and for all at your conversion, but he continues to do it time and again in your sin and folly. Hands up if you have sinned and if you have been a bit unwise. After our calling, how do we provoke God, preached Goodwin? It is so with all Christians, yet saved we are because the love of God is invincible and it overcomes all difficulties. Perhaps, looking at the evidence of your life, you do not know what to conclude, except that this mercy of God in Christ has passed you up. Maybe you have been deeply mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed by the one person you should have been able to trust, abandoned, taken advantage of. Perhaps you carry a pain that will never heal till you are dead. If my life is any evidence of the mercy of God in Christ, you might think, I'm not impressed. To you, I say, the evidence of Christ's mercy towards you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy towards you is his. Mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned, eternally in your place. If God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. Perhaps you have difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ, not because of what others have done to you, but because of what you've done to torpedo your own life. Maybe through one big stupid decision, or maybe through 10,000 little ones. You have squandered his mercy, and you know it, you might think. To you, I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed, not frugal, but lavish, not poor, but rich. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We come before you humbly 
as sinners in knowledge of our need for your mercy. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, come minister to us. You know our needs. We offer ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.